This morning, I want you to go to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 6, and verse number 16. 2 Samuel, chapter 6, and verse number 16. And I want you to look at what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us this morning. 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verse 16. Let us go to the word of the Lord. Verse number 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. And everybody say, window. And saw King David leaping and whirling around before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of men, everyone, everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned and blessed his household, M Michael, the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, now look at this sarcastic remark that she makes. How glorious was the king of David today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will humble in my own sight. But as for my maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, don't be... A window watcher don't be a window watcher look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor don't be a window watcher come on folks open your mouth and say to your neighbor don't be a window watcher come on father we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today thank you for these people who have gathered in your name and we pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word, and that your word would go forth in boldness and clarity. Father, that the things that I would say today would not be my words, but your words. Let it go forth in power and in boldness, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we thank you, Father that we bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect every demonic force of the enemy. And we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And everyone said amen. Now, we are what is many people would classify as a Pentecostal church. That's what many people would classify uh, us as. I don't necessarily like to go by titles, but if you had to classify us in a denomination or a class of people, we would probably fall in that vein. The word Pentecostal comes from Acts chapter 2. We simply mean that we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, Jesus is the same today, and Jesus is the same forever. 
that the age of miracles and healings and the miraculous is not over, that God is still working in and through his people. And how many would raise your hand and agree with the Pastor Josh today that God is still working in and through his people, that we don't serve a dead God. And I've learned one thing. It's good for us to have systems and structures and strategies. I think it's good for us to plan and program. It's good for us to have programs to edify the families. It's good for us to have good music and lighting and seats. It's good for us to have a good air-conditioned building. Thank God for it. I'm, nothing, I'm not against any of that. I think that we need to do our very best in everything that we do, whether it's the programs of the church or the plans of the church. Whatever we execute needs to be excellent because I've learned one thing. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. So whatever we do for the kingdom deserves our best. And we should do our very best. And that means that whatever you do at this church, you should do it at your very best. If you're an usher, you should come early and serve with excellence. If you clean the church, you should do it with excellence. If you watch the kids and do children's church or you sweep the floor or run the coffee shop, whatever you do, you should do it with a spirit of excellence because it bears his name. And if it bears his name, it's worth his best. We're not working at McDonald's. We're not working down at Walmart and Wally World. You're in the kingdom of God. And it should deserve our best. And sometimes when we come to the kingdom of God, we think it doesn't deserve our best. We think it's a day off. We think we should, we don't need to praise God. And sometimes we think that during this pandemic, it's an excuse for us not to praise God. It's an excuse for us not to give our very best. This is not an excuse for us not to do our very best. Did you hear what pastor said? This is not a reason for us not to do our very best. This is not a reason for us to do half-heartedness. This is not a reason for us just to barely make it. This is the hour of the church. I said, this is the hour of the church. God is raising up not a weak, lethargic church. He's raising up a strong, vibrant, powerful, passionate church storming the gates of hell. I don't want to be a part of a church that's barely making it. I don't want to be a part of a church where we look like we sucked a pickle before we come into the house of God. I want to come to the house of God knowing that my victory does not rest upon what happens in the world, but my victory happens on what thus says the Word of God says. And I'm telling you this morning that it doesn't matter what's happening in our world. I'm prophesying to you today that you have victory today. You're not running to victory. You're running from victory. Victory was already given to us at the cross of Christ. And because of that, we remain victorious in spite of what's happening around us. Hallelujah. Can somebody throw your head back and say amen? Some of us view church as a hot tub. You know what you do at a hot tub? You get in and have entertainment. You don't get in there and take a bath. You get in there and have entertainment with your friends. Sometimes we view church as a hot tub instead of the river of life. The church of Jesus Christ is not an entertainment center, a hot tub where we come once a week and sit in here and talk to our friends about how bad it is in the world. 
It is not a hot tub of entertainment. It is the river of Almighty God. And where the river of God is flowing, the life of God is flowing. We are not called to be a bunch of monuments. We are called to be a movement, passionate after the presence of Almighty God. We're not called to be a reservoir. We're called to be the river of God. We're not called to be a tomb. We're called to be the womb that gives birth to the next generation of disciples. You see, it's more than programs. It's more than plans and purposes of the church. It's about the presence of God, and if the life of God is not in it, it will not work. In Mark chapter number 5, the scripture says that Jairus' daughter was dead. There was no spirit in the body. It was dead. And the crowd said, why do you even trouble the master? She's already gone. But you know what, Jairus, you know what he did? You know what the father did? He cried even more louder. And you know what has been instilled in me by the Holy Ghost? People will look around and say it's a dead church. Nobody cares any longer. But I'm going to be like that father when they tell me don't trouble the teacher any longer. I'm going to be the one that's going to trouble the teacher and say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Send us a revival once again. It's very easy to get discouraged when you look around and you see rigor mortis in the church pews. You see defeated Christians. You see them criticizing this and complaining about this and mad at this. It's very easy to get discouraged. But my encouragement is not found in the census of people. It's found in the strength of the joy of the Lord that I find in my prayer closet. I think I'm preaching better than you're clapping this morning. And some of us today is a window watcher. Standing at the window watching everybody else get their praise on. Standing at the window watching everybody else do the work. Standing at the window, wondering why God ain't blessing you. We become a window watcher. You see, the scripture tells us in our text today that David had become king over Israel. And the Bible says that the ark of God was being brought back to the city of David, to Israel. But this time, it was being brought back the right way. It was being brought back on the shoulders of the priest. Because you'll know a few chapters before that, Uzzah died because he reached out and touched the ark of God. And the power of God struck him dead. Because God is not concerned about just his presence. He's concerned about order and the way we do things and obedience. God told them that if you're going to carry the ark, that you need to do it by a certain way. And that was being, being carried by the, the, the shoulders of the, the Levites. The shoulders of the priest. And so this time, the ark of God was coming back to the city of David, to Jerusalem. And now it was being carried the right way. They were doing it in obedience. Because any time obedience happens, blessing happens. 
And so when they were bringing back the ark, the priest had the, the, the poles upon their shoulders. And can you imagine, read the context of the scripture. They were shouting and dancing. They were blowing trumpets. The whole city was rejoicing. Why was they rejoicing? Because they are bringing back the ark of God. They are bringing back the presence of God. They are bringing back the presence of Almighty God. And as a result of that, they were joyful. They were celebratory. They were lifting their voice and blowing the trumpets. King David saw the celebration. And King David understood a principle is that leaders should lead by example. Leaders should lead by example. So you know what King David did? He got off of his throne and went down and joined the party. And the Bible says he took off his garments and the only thing that he had was his undergarments. And the Bible says he danced and he leaped and he whirled around and danced with everything that he had. And the Bible says Michael, his wife, stood at the window and she despised him. You got to be very careful of people, whether they're in your life or whether they attend this church or whether they don't attend your church, nobody should control you to the point where you don't have the ability to praise God. Nobody. They're not your savior. They didn't die for you. Nobody should be able to control your praise. And here Michael, the wife of David, despised her husband. Because he acted like almost an idiot out there praising God and taking off his garments and worshiping, praising God. And the Bible says he comes back and his wife said, basically sarcastic, you embarrassed me. You were out there showing your undergarments to your maids. You were out there showing your undergarments and dancing and whirling around. And what did David say? David said in verse number 21, David said, listen, sweetie, it was, it was before the Lord. It wasn't before you. And the Lord chose me instead of your father. He says in verse number 22, if you think I'm bad right now, I'm about ready to get more undignified before the presence of Almighty God. And you know what he does? He says, I'm going to be honored for what I do for the Lord. In spite of your despising me, there's a spirit of witchcraft that has crept into the church, a spirit of control and manipulation and domination. That is what we call witchcraft. Anytime you feel controlled and anytime you are dominated and controlled, the scripture says it's witchcraft. And this woman had a spirit of witchcraft who dominated her husband and said, I, you embarrass me when you praise God. You embarrass me when you do that. And he says, if you think that I am going, if you think I praise God now, baby, you don't know what I'm about ready to do. And I just want this Pentecostal church to know something. If you think Pastor Josh is crazy now, the half has not been told yet. I'm about ready to get undignified up on 7th Street up in Galena here. Because I am not going to let no pandemic stop my praise. I'm not going to let no virus stop my praise. I'm not going to let anybody with their arms folded stop my praise. 
place. You don't know where I've been. And since you don't know where I've been, you can't control my praise. Some of you, some of you having grown in your praise in 20 years, you've been giving the Lord the same clap offering. You've been giving the Lord the same hallelujah for 20 years. The devil himself couldn't move you off of that seat. That's why it's called the pew. Pew. Because we set so much on it. We, it's... I'll serve, Pastor, but let me pray about it. You've elevated your opinions and to God's, and you have worshipped at the shrine of your own opinions and feelings. And you give more reverence to your opinions and your feelings to thus saith the word of God. We've become a window watcher. It's easy for us to sit and despise somebody else's praise. If he's not careful, the devil will trick you. And you'll stand at the window and you become bitter at everybody else that's celebrating while you are stuck in the same place. You'll sit there with your arms folded looking out the window, criticizing everybody else. See, when, now listen, I love you today. I ain't mad at nobody. I'm just all stirred up. That's what happens when preachers pray. I hope you know that I'm not a six-foot icicle just roaming around giving you a dead sermon every week. Sometimes, I, honest to God, sometimes I literally feel like I'm going to absolutely explode. So when I come to church... And I see people texting on their phone and see people, you know, th there's so much life inside of me. I just want to, because that's what happens when you get in the presence of God. It's what happens when you celebrate the goodness of God. It's what happens when you read the word. It gets contagious. It gets inside of you. You can't help but just get up off of your seat and start just dancing like this because it's life. Life. That's why I can't do dead church. If you want a dead preacher, please, I, I, I just need to go. No, I'm, I'm not going nowhere. But if you want a dead preacher, let me go somewhere else and catch somebody else on fire. I cannot be dead. I can't be shriveled up. I can't live like that. I can't live in mire. I can't live in the muck. I can't live in depression. I can't live in negativity. The river of God is something that's moving. It's something that's... It is not a hot tub. We like to stay in the hot tub and say, Hey, Pastor... Come and rub my back. Put some sun lotion on my back, Pastor. Let me, 
Let me tell you the difference between a David and a Michael. A David is a worshiper. Michael is a window watcher. One of them sees people, Michael. One of them sees the presence of God. One of them worships dignity. The other one worships deity. One of them's worshiped on how to worship. I don't like that style, Pastor. The music's too loud. And if you sing more hymns, I would get into it. The other one's focused on who of the worship. Are you a window watcher or are you a worshiper? Number one, because window watchers have the best view, but it comes at the expense of their worship. Number two, there's a difference between a window wa washer, watcher and a worshiper. There's a Michael and then there's a David. One of them sees people. One of them sees presence. One of them sees dignity and being proper. One of them sees deity. One of them is focused on how to worship. And the other one's focused on the who of worship. One of them is controlled by the opinions of the maids and despises those who are are blessed. The other one refuses to be controlled by the opinions of people, even those that's closest to him. Number three, don't let your drama and your trauma turn you into a spectator instead of a participator. Because that's what happens with window watchers. Window watchers don't know how to process all the drama and the trauma of their life. Now, let me just remind you of Michael. Michael, who is the wife of David in this passage. Let me just give a background of who Michael is. Michael is the daughter of King Saul. She married David at an early age. But when she married David, Saul, which is David's father-in-law, begin to accuse David that David was trying to take his throne. So Michael, who is a good daughter, released David, and she pretended as though her husband is dead. She sided with her father. So David goes on the run. He's running from his father-in-law, who is delusional who thinks David wants his throne. He has a mental breakdown. And what happens? The Bible says that Saul has a mental breakdown. He begins to kill people. Not only does he begin to go, he's whacked out to the point that he's almost possessed of demonic spirits where David had to go and get a harp and sing because he's so tormented. Here, Michael is trying to deal with losing her husband and her father is crazy. And on top of all of that, all of her siblings are lost in the war. She loses all of her brothers in the war. They all die. And then she gets word that her father commits suicide, takes his life. Here is a woman, I believe, has a lot of trauma and drama in her life. 
And top it all off, David becomes king. And guess what David wants? David goes back to Michael and says, I want you as my wife. But the problem is, that was 10 years ago, and Michael already got married. So Michael is now heartbroken because she has to obey the king. So she leaves her husband of 10 years and goes back to her sweetheart, boyfriend of her younger years. She has a lot of trauma. She has a lot of drama. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, I am not by any means trying to belittle people's drama or belittle people's or drama or trauma in their life. Things happen in life. Situations happen in life. Sometimes we are dealt the wrong deck of cards. Sometimes things are stressful and there are situations in our life where we do want to throw in the towel and give up. And there are situations in our life that look so bleak that it doesn't even look like there's any hope to it. I get it. And I am not trying to tell you you need to deny such situations. There are churches that will tell you to deny that problem. Listen to this preacher. I am not trying to tell you to deny anything. I am trying to tell you look at your reality and accept that it is what it is. Don't deny it. But at the same time, you have to make a decision that the drama and the trauma in your life should not develop you into a spectator rather than a participator. Because when we listen to pastor, when we go through drama in our life, you know what we do? We write ourselves a, a prescription card and we give ourselves an excuse not to go to church, not to read the Bible, not to witness, not to serve, and not to be faithful. For somehow we exempt ourselves when we're in drama and trauma. We become spectators and then we sit out the window and watch everybody else do the work and we complain about it. Because we have given us a reason that we should be a spectator instead of a participator. When you find yourself in drama and you find yourself in the trauma of life, that is not a reason for you to give up serving and give up coming to church and giving up with doing right. The book of Proverbs says that if your strength fails in the day of adversity, your strength was small. What does Solomon say? Solomon says a righteous man gets up seven times. Though he falls, he gets up again. You see, we're not to deny the drama in our life. We're not to deny the trauma in our life. It is what it is, and things will happen, and your heart will be broken, your heart will be crushed. Yes, things will happen, but you've got to learn to grow through what you're going through and not just throw in the towel and give up. The devil wants you to throw up. The devil wants you to throw in the towel. He wants you to give up. But ladies and gentlemen, you have more inside of you than what's on the outside of you. John said, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Whatever's on the inside of you is greater than the pressure that's coming against you. Don't let your past be a reason why you become passive in your worship. You ever met somebody and says, I need a break. And I, I think it's true. People do need a break. I think there's Sabbaths. People need a rest. But if you've been on a break for 10 years, 
you're being controlled by your burnout and your hurt. Should you rest? Yes. Should you take time to regather? Yes. Nothing wrong with that. But if it's for 10 years, then maybe you've got to ask yourself, am I being controlled by the burnout? Is the burnout controlling me? Is the hurt controlling me? Remember, if you, you're either a worshiper or you are a window watcher. Number four, your issue will always be persistent. Therefore, your intimacy must be consistent. Paul said, I cried to the Lord that he would remove this thorn. But the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. There are things in your life that won't be removed. It won't be removed. You've got to learn to accept grace for it. And if you're going to accept grace for it, then you've got to be intimate because your intimacy will determine your consistency. If you honor God with your time, God will honor you with his voice. You must develop a time and place with intimacy with the Lord. And intimacy happens behind closed doors. Any married couple will tell you that. And if you're going to become intimate with the Father, you must shut out, shut out the distractions of the world in order to develop intimacy with the Lord. That means putting the phone away when you're praying. Shut the door. Shut out all the distractions and develop a quiet time with the Lord. You see, the Bible says in Exodus 23, verse 30, Exodus 23, verse 30, the Bible says that the people gained victory little by little by little. They increased little by little. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to do in your life. It's the little steps in the right direction. You increase little by little. Sometimes it's not the big steps. Sometimes it's the little steps that make the difference. Number five, you will either create something in your life or you will criticize something in your life. You're either a window watcher or you are a worshiper. You see, Michael criticized her husband, but David created an atmosphere of worship. There are two things that you will do in life. If you are not creating something, you are criticizing something. And I've learned one thing, that the price of true revival is always criticism. When you're doing something right, you will be criticized for doing something right. Amen? I've learned one thing, you can keep people in a lot of jobs. People love to criticize. If you're doing something right, they'll criticize. You can keep people in jobs because they love to criticize. Listen, you can't please everybody. No matter how hard you try, you will never please anybody. But your responsibility is not to be pleasing everybody. Your responsibility is to be obedient according to the plan and purpose of God. Whatever God tells you to do is what you need to do. It is to be obedient to Him. That is what we call success. Success is obedience. Success is not big churches and big crowds, although they are wonderful and great. But success in the eyes of God is being obedient according to what He has told you to do. You see, you're either a worshiper or you're a window watcher. You have an opportunity. Am I going to stand at the window or am I going to engage with the participators? 
Am I going to stand at the window and despise everybody else that's worshiping? Despise everybody else that's getting blessed? Despise everybody else that's being used? Or am I going to come out of the window and engage with those who are participating? It reminds me of a story in the New Testament. Acts chapter 20, verse 9. I'm not sure if they could find it real quick for me. But Acts chapter 20, verse number 9. Do you remember the story of, uh, of Paul where he was preaching a really long-winded sermon? How many remembers that? And the Bible says there was a young man who was sitting in the window and Paul kept preaching. He was at the window. What happened? He fell out of the window. He fell out of the window. Guess what happens if you're a window watcher? You're going to fall. You're going to fall if all you do is watch out the window. God has not called you to watch out the window. God has called you to engage with those around you. Not to be a spectator, but to be a participator. You see, number six, criticism will produce barrenness. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Michael became barren. Michael did not bear any children. She didn't bear any children. She came barren. Now, I'm sure there's many other reasons for this. But having children in the Old Testament was a sign of the blessing of God. And here, Michael, it was not necessarily, uh, according to what we see here, is necessarily blessed because she despised worship. She despised what her husband did. And what her husband did was appropriate and it was before the Lord. Listen, Michael was in three different roles. Listen to this. Michael was positioned as the daughter of the king. She was Saul's daughter. She was positioned as a, a, a daughter of the king. Saul loved her. She was positioned. Number two, she was a partner. She was the wife of King David. And not only was she a partner, she was supposed to produce. She was positioned. She was a partner, but she did not produce and my friends, that it is what it is today. Many of you are positioned in the Lord. Many of you are positioned before God. You are positioned as a daughter and a son of the king. You are saved. You are brought into the kingdom of God. Some of you are partners in the ministry. You're partners at Christ's point. You want this thing to work. You want to see some, God to do something. But we have failed something. We have failed the third level, and that is producing. It's not about just being a partner. It's not about just coming to church. It's not coming to clapping your hands and supporting the preacher and making sure he gets a paycheck on Monday morning. It's not about that. It's about us being mothers and fathers in the faith and us reproducing the next generation of disciples. It's not about pastor doing all the work of the ministry. It's not about me doing all the preaching. It's not about me doing all the hospital visitations. It's about each of you taking the responsibility that you are a missionary before the hands of Almighty God. You are called to do ministry. You're not called to sit, sour, and soak. You're called to do something. And as long as we're in this pandemic, it's not a reason for you not to serve. And it's not a reason for you not to help. And it's not a reason for us to sit there and criticize out the window. It's a reason for us to participate in what God wants to do. We're not called to be window watchers. We're called to be worshipers. We're called not only to be positioned as a son and daughter, 
Not only are we called to be partners, we're called to produce. God is calling some of you to be a mother and father of the faith. That means some of you need to take somebody younger in this church and mentor them. Take them out to eat. Teach them what you have learned in your life. Some of you women, take some of these younger women out and teach them how to be a wife. Teach them how to love their husbands. Some of you fathers, teach these men how to be husbands to their wives. Instead of waiting for a small group to do it, you're called, God is calling some of us to go up another notch. This is not a hot tub. This is not, I rub your back, and you rub your back, and let's turn the heat up on the hot tub a little longer, and let's stay in the hot tub a little longer in fellowship. Pastor Josh ain't mad. Pastor Josh is probably more encouraged I've ever been. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that God is requiring more of us than what you think he's requiring. God is requiring some of you to do a little bit more than what you're doing. God is requiring you to go to a different level. God is requiring you to grow up with some more. God is requiring you to be challenged and push your faith to a new level. God is requiring you to pull up your big boy pants. God is requiring and challenging you to go to a new level. If you're not changing, you are choosing. You're choosing to be where you're out if you're not changing. It's a disservice for me to preach week after week, week after week, week after week, and you're not growing. God's not called us to be obese spiritually. He hasn't called us to be obese spiritually. And I'm asking every one of you, to make a pool to bring somebody to church next week. There should be no absolutely reason when nobody in this building can't be proactive inviting somebody to the house of God next week. Let's be a mother and father of the faith and let's invite people to this church. Thank you, Pastor. Last week, we made 300 of these, and we almost have all of them. I preached and preached to ask you to come and get a card. Most of us just walked out the door, just, just walked out. Sunday night, please come and get a card, please come and get a card. Some of you came and got one, just walked. I'm asking you, let's do something. I'm asking you. To be let's not only a positioned in the faith, let's be a partner in the faith. And let's not only be a partner in the faith, but let's produce sons and daughters for the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. Thank you that your word is true. Your word is faithful. Thank you that your word is everlasting. Everlasting. Father, we don't want to be spectators, but we want to be participators 
in the presence of God. Worship team, quickly come to the front. Amen. This is what I want to do. I don't want us to be spectators this morning. Can we just end the service giving our all to the Lord? You know what David said? David said, you know, I didn't do it for you, Michael. I didn't worship because of what you wanted, Michael. I worshiped because it was to the Lord. Now, I know I'm asking you to worship, but would you come with the heart and the attitude to worship? Now, can I tell you something? Listen to this. There's a difference between obedience and honor. Obedience is doing what you're told, but honor is the attitude by which you do it. It's possible for us to be obedient and not honoring. And that is the thing with the Christian life. We can be obedient because we're told to do something, but our heart doesn't have the attitude to go with it. And I'm asking you today that not only do you be obedient in worship, but can we honor the Lord with the right attitude as we worship? As we close out this Sunday morning, let us be reminded of the story that it doesn't matter who's watching me from the window. My worship is to the Lord. I said, my worship is to the Lord. I'm not doing it for Michael. I'm not doing it for Pastor. I'm not doing it for so-and-so. I have decided that I'm giving my all to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? And when you do that, church, the blessing of God will flow. Amen. What happens? David begins to give cake raisins out. He begins to give bread out. He begins to give uh, drink out. Because anytime the presence of God is at work among the people, the people's needs are met. The people's needs are met.